I agree 100% that I'll never be completely self-sufficient, right? You're always going to rely on your community. You're going to rely on, on some level, we're always going to rely on larger systems. It's just part of the way our culture is created, you know? With that said, for me, self-sufficiency is really being able to stand on your own two feet with your family, reaching out to the folks that you want to reach out to, you know, to, to, to create some sort of community and build those relationships on a small scale. Inside of the city, the people are crazy. Out of their minds, they ain't got a clue. We gone away, headed west for Montana. Left family and friends, all I got now is you. We both got new jobs, a host and a homestead, thinking this was the life, all that there'd be. After our firstborn, you had to stay home. That's when the work got in the way for me. Well, I started farm hop life. Welcome to your farm to help and to trucking an RV send us a message and there will be this is the farm hop life podcast a traveling homestead family I'm Matt Rozier today my guest is Al Storm located in North Florida he started advancedprimitive.net he is located in North Florida lost 80 pounds by eating a more natural diet, then started producing his own food by hunting, fishing, gardening, and raising livestock. How's it going, Al? Good. How are you doing? Thanks for having me on. Yes. Thank you for being here. I appreciate your time. So um, all your pictures that you post, not all of them, that's not fair. Uh, it's always like fishing on the beach. And it's like, is this guy like retired? Like, does he work? Uh, <laughs> you just only post the, the the good stuff, I guess. So, well, no, I, I definitely, I, I work at a regular nine to five. Um, I do get out to the beach to fish usually once a week. I take the kids out, you know, I try to get out once a week if possible. Um, and also, you know, at the house we have the, uh, we have the garden and the, you know, the chickens and the livestock and things like that. So we're definitely busy, but definitely try to prioritize, you know, surf fishing. We try to get out there once a week. Sometimes it's a little bit more, sometimes it's a little bit less, but I think those are the best pictures, right? That Those are kind of... Uh, Living in Florida, I think that's what people find interesting more than right, right. sometimes a picture of a tomato plant. Yeah, I don't know. Some tomato plants really get a lot of views, and I can't that's figure true. it out. That's true. So, man, the uh, the losing eighty pounds. We're definitely going to get into that a little bit later. Man, that's quite the teaser. Um, but how did you get started? And maybe if, maybe this uh, ties into it. How did you get started homesteading? Well. So actually it does kind of tie in. So basically I, back in, see, back in 2015, when, you know, I I ran into some health issues and I could talk about that later if you'd like, I can, I can hold off on that, but basically, you know, decided to start eating a little bit healthier and kind of followed a guy named uh, Mark Sisson's plan. It it was the primal blueprint is the book. And basically you, you kind of eat meat, fruits, and vegetables. And so I started, you know, buying those things at the supermarket, found, my, found myself going to the grocery store and 
thinking that the quality wasn't great. So progressed to farmer's markets, then a local farm. And then I thought to myself, I could do some of this stuff myself, right? So um, we moved, We were going to move anyway. We were looking for a house with a bigger yard. So we decided to go to a place where we could have livestock and a large garden. And it just kind of progressed from there. So there wasn't a, a moment necessarily. It was just kind of a slow progression where started eating healthier, decided to, you know, eat locally and that, you know, buy food that was just, you know, sustainably produced, kind of learned things along the way and then decided I could do it myself. So that, that was kind of the progression. Nice. nice. That sounds sweet. Um, so the, the next question being what motivates you to grow your own food, like just going to the grocery store less and health is, is there more to it? Sure. Sure. So again, you know, starting from eating fast food pretty much every day and moving to going to the grocery store, what I realized pretty quickly was the food in the grocery store wasn't necessarily as healthy as I thought it was, right? The, the some of the fruits weren't, didn't taste great. And you would do some research and you find out, you know, like the cucumbers sometimes would be grown in Mexico and there's nothing against cucumbers grown in Mexico, but the thought process was, and again, living in Florida, there's gotta be people in Florida growing cucumbers, right? So kind of, you know, just, just researching methods that folks use and what organic really means versus sustainable. Um, just, just kind of move forward. And again, there wasn't one moment where it all clicked. It was just kind of a progression. And, you know, the goal to, to kind of grow my own food and, and, and do things more sustainably really just came from talking to folks locally who were doing it successfully and following a lot of what they did and, and kind of, it comes from the community, right? You kind of learn more along the way and you realize, Hey, I could do this better. And just want, again, wanting to have a better product, also, you know, especially with the chickens, I'm probably like a lot of folks in America where I was kind of ignorant to how poorly chickens are raised in these uh, factory farms, right? So wanted to really make a, a difference there. And I really do think, you know, while I'm certainly not against meat eating and, and you know, animal products in any way, I, I do think we have a moral obligation to try to do it better, right? And try to oh, create sure. a better environment for the animals, right? So, um, and again, I think a lot of it came from, from just a place of ignorance on my part. And I'm sure I'm not the only person where I didn't realize how bad the food that I was eating was. And then even as I moved into, you know, traditional factory farm steak or chicken um, and eggs, even thinking that was, well, this has to be healthy, realizing that there's misses on that side too. So hope that answers the question. No, absolutely. It does. And, you know, a more like, like a, like a better way to treat animals. I mean, hunting and fishing definitely ties into that because what's more healthy for a animal than its natural habitat, right? Then, uh, sure. I mean, yeah. uh, like homesteaders, farmers, ranchers, we all do our best to like, well, in, in our little, you know, uh, regenerative agriculture, permaculture group, um, we all do our best to give the animals the best life that we can. Um, but sometimes it still falls short of its like natural habitat. Sure. So uh, first, you know, I think a lot of what's going on in this space is, is great. I I've not, and on my website, I, I kind of make the point I've not gotten into 
um, raising meat animals at all. Not because I think there's anything wrong with it. It's just not a step that I've taken yet. And, and because, mm. frankly, I, I'm producing my own meat from the hunting and fishing. So um, with that said, you know, I, I've been a lifelong fisherman. I was fairly, I'm, I'm very new to the hunting deal. You know, that that's something that I just started really getting into a few years ago and went out on my first hunt early last year. So it, it's only, you know, I've only been in that, on that side of it for, for a little while, but certainly I think the important, you know, I think it's important to, to try to let animals live in a natural way, in a way that's not stressful. And, you know, also obviously the, the moment where they're going to pass, right. The harvest, I guess, you don't want that to be stressful if at all possible. I mean, it's not going to be pleasant. We all know it's, it, you know, it's not a, a pleasant situation, but we want to make it as, as positive as possible. Right. So you want to make right. sure everything's done humanely. And, and I think folks in the small scale farms try to do so where I'm not sure that that's happening in the factory side. You know, I, I feel like there, there's definitely a lot of room to grow. And I think, you know, I think across all channels, right. Whether it's a hunter, a fisherman, like we could all do better, but with that said, I definitely think, you know, folks on the regenerative side and also um, most outdoorsmen are trying to do the best that they're outdoors. People, I should say, are trying to do their best. Agreed. Agreed. Um, I mean, so when you, man, you had me think of a question and then I totally lost it, but when you go out to, to fish, what kind of like, like, like walk me through that a little bit. What's your, like, like maybe like your state of mind, um, is it, is it more for recreation than it is just like sustainability, like to sustain, sustain yourself or your family, or is it like, what, what do you, what are you thinking when you do that? Sure. So in, in the, you know, I, as I said, I was a lifelong fisherman in the early days, I was more or less a catch and release person. So I was going for, mm -hmm. you know, out here in Florida, the, the sport fish of choice is kind of the redfish and the sea trout. And, you know, they're pretty heavily regulated and frankly, they're hard to catch. So you might go out and catch one. You may not catch one. When I decided to switch over to more, of, you know, a, and I, the idea that I'm going to go out and catch something to eat, you know, more of a, a meat fisherman, I guess, or a consumptive fisherman. What I started to do was target the panfish. And really the reason that I did this was I wanted to show my kids that we could go, whether it was to a pond or a beach, you could go out and come home with dinner and still have a good time. So sure. that was the plan. The reason I go to the beach so much now is, um, you know, the beaches that we go to down here, they're, they're not terribly busy. The kids, my kids are still pretty young. They can run around on the beach, have fun. They have fishing poles that are fit their size. And I also have some larger fishing pole, you know, that I use. Generally speaking, we'll catch something during the day that we can bring home. So, and, you know, legally and, and, and ethically, and it's something that's going to taste good. So they're panfish. We catch, there's a lot of fish called whiting. That's probably most of the pictures on my, you know, my Twitter side, the feed or any, most of the discussion that I, you hear is around whiting or there's another species called pompano. They're both really good to eat. They're small fish. They're plentiful. They're, they're pretty easy to catch. So the mindset when I go out is we're going to have a good time at the beach. We're going to get some exercise. We're going to get a lot of sunshine. We're going to go in the water. But generally, we're going to catch a few fish, um, smaller fish, but enough to bring home and eat. And, um, you know, again, it's not it's not necessarily a fill the freezer every time thing. It's, hey, you know, we're going to go out and try to catch lunch or dinner. When you say that you are new to hunting, what are you hunting? So 
right now, again, living in Florida, um, wild boar are a, uh, they're considered a nuisance species. They're, they're actually invasive. They, they do a lot of damage to farmland and the ranches. And there's a, a bunch of places close to me and in Florida. And I think throughout most of the Southeast where you can go on a relatively inexpensive, uh, wild boar or hog hunt and you can harvest a, a, a nice size boar. You can, uh, you know, you can have it processed. There, there's places around that'll process it for you. It looks like you brought, you got it from the, the butcher shop and it, the price per pound. I'm not going to say it's the same as, is grocery store meat, but, um, it's not as far off as you think it is. And it, you know, you get a day out in the field, you see the animal. I think it's very respectful for the animal. And, and I can go into that if you'd like more details. I'm not sure if time permits, but yeah, sure. Uh, yeah. So, uh, you know, being new to hunting, there was pushback from friends and family. Hey, why would you want to do that? Just buy your food at the grocery store. And, uh, th- there's a show that I watch. It's called meat eater with uh, Steven Ranella. I'm not sure mm-hmm. if, if, if you're familiar. So, you know, he, he kind of brought up the notion that, you know, when you hunt an animal, you have respect for it because you've seen it alive. You know how it passed and all of your meat came from that one animal where, and again, as a small scale farmer, you're going to see this as well. But if you go to the grocery store, that pack of hamburger that you bought may have, I hate to say it, it, it's kind of gross, but it may have five or six animals ground into the one package of meat. Right. Mm -hmm. So that doesn't feel respectful to me. That, that feels very disrespectful. Whereas, you know, for example, the, the last, you know, hog that, that I, I hunted and harvested, we were able to make many, many meals from it. And my family could look at the picture of my hog hunt and say, that was the animal that produced this meal. And it made me, it, it was, it was a very, um, I don't know if spiritual is the right word. Um, I think that may be a little overused, but certainly uh, an emotional bond to making sure that I didn't waste that animal. Right. And to make sure that I respected the way that I prepared it. And the, I just thought it was a much more respectful way to utilize that animal and to, to really pay tribute to its life. So, um, from that perspective, I, I think it's, there was a lot of value on that side for me, especially try, as someone who's trying to eat a little bit healthier, it brought in a lot more of the, you know, kind of, I'm eating something that means something, you know, I am eating something that, matters so as opposed to you know a fast food burger which is kind of just anonymous the the food actually had a connection to to my life and a a memory that i had so it it meant a lot um and also just you know from a sustainability standpoint these wild boar had traditionally been uh trapped killed and disposed of and wasted really so you know buzzard food i'm sorry buzzard food they were absolutely buzzard food and there, you know, there's some, there are some, you know, bacterial risks. You have to make sure you cook them properly and you have to sanitize properly. But with all of that said, they're delicious and they're very good for you. They're very lean. Um, so as long as you practice, you know, basic sanitation and you cook them thoroughly and everything else, um, it, it's a great source of protein and a very sustainable source of protein. I mean, yeah, they're, if, I mean, they're, on the edge of like invasive or they, some people do consider them invasive and whatnot. And we have to get rid of them somehow. And if we're gonna dispose of them, we might as well take something from it instead of it, just letting it go to waste. Like, you know, yes, like the buzzers need to eat too, but you know, they can do just fine off of scraps. And, well, and 
you know, if, if they die naturally and the buzzards eat them, that's fine. But, you know, it's kind of tragic if we're, if we're either poisoning or shooting something and just leaving it to rot in the field. And, you know, right. That, that doesn't seem right to me anyway. I, I'm sure it happens for I'm sure there's people that would justify it in some way. But for me, if we can utilize that to feed people, it just makes more sense. You had mentioned, you know, like a spiritual connection, like it might be might be overused, maybe um, in the right context. I feel like it's very appropriate. Um, you had mentioned like Mediator and Stephen Ranella often like and I don't know if it's he, he seems like a pretty genuine guy, but, you know, who, who knows what it is like off camera or whatever. But, you know, almost after every kill he like puts his hand on the animal and is like, thank you for your life. Um, and so you're having like a spiritual connection with that animal's spirit, like your spirit and the animal's spirit, not necessarily like, you know, your spirit with God uh, or, you know, whatever it is you believe. Um, I mean, it could be that as well, but it's more human to animal connection, that kind of spirit. Well, I, I could tell you, you know, from, as someone who who did this, you know, I'm, so I'm 46 now, right? So my first, I figure the first time I, I hunted was, you know, 45. So it was mid 40s. So someone who went a long period of their life without hunting, without mm-hmm. taking an animals, you know, outside of a fish, um, but outside, you know, outside of that, you know, a hog just for, for a variety of reasons, it's just it's more intense. Mm-hmm. So as someone who hadn't done that for the majority of his life to do it. I, I will tell you, and, and again, as I said, you know, sometimes I think, you know, the spiritual thing, it, it, it can be overstated and I, don't, I didn't want to seem disingenuous, I guess is what I'm saying. But, um, there, something happens, right? There is a deep connection and, and certainly I, I'm a Christian. I, you know, I, I believe in, in, in God and there's a connected, there's, there's a way that we're connected to the earth and, and, and to nature. And, and obviously, you know, living in this lifestyle, you're connected that way as well. Um, so I certainly see that food as a gift from God, right? The ability to be in the outdoors as a gift from God. And there's also the, there's a heavy weight of responsibility in taking an animal's life because if I hadn't done that, that animal would have walked away and, and that's not lost on me. Um, so again, I'm certainly not a vegan. I'm not a vegetarian. Um, I don't see anything wrong with carnivorism. Um, with that said, I think there's a heavy, heavy responsibility that, uh, makes us do things the right way. And, you know, just as a little bit of a background, I, I had practiced shooting at the range for years before I went hunting. And the guy commented on the fact that I actually undersold my shooting ability. And I said, well, because I wanted to make sure I didn't miss, it was important to me that I didn't miss. So, and by miss, I don't mean miss the animal altogether. I mean, hit the animal in a spot that didn't kill it quickly, you mm-hmm. know? So, and I can also tell you, I let an animal, the first animal I let walk by because the heaviness of the moment hit me. And um, for anyone who's not taken an animal's life, it may be hard to understand. And now that I've done it, I, I fully understand it. It's, there's a great responsibility. And I'm sure, again, I, I don't farm for meat right now, but I'm sure that that everyone who has feels that as well. There, there's a heavy, heavy responsibility. I went um, hunting last fall on a friend's ranch and it it was the first time in five years that I had shot a deer. Like I had, you know, gone out in the back country and tried and tried and tried. Sure. Um, didn't do very good in the scouting. Uh, I just wasn't, just wasn't my time, I guess. I don't know. Just right. 
didn't do it right. And after I had shot that deer, like my hands were shaking, like my, like, just like, just thinking about it. Like I feel, kind of feel like my, that adrenaline just like, I don't know. It was, it seemed like for 45 minutes, I just had all this adrenaline just pumping through my body. Just like the, that, that moment of, um, taking another animal's life, like just, and ho- hopefully it's something that you just never get like numb to. I, you know, for, it was the same for me. I, it, it almost seems surreal the first, mm-hmm. you know, the first time that I hunted and, you know, it, it, I hope it never goes away. You know, I, I don't think we should ever lose sight of what we're doing and the reason that we're doing it. And there's, there's also a connection to, all that have done it before, right? Whether you're a farmer, uh, a fisherman or a hunter, you know, we all kind of look up at the same sky, right? We look, we've looked up for millennia, right? At the same moon and in and, and, and the same woods. So there, there's definitely a connection to those who have done it before you, um, th- to those who will do it after us, right? A responsibility to those to make sure that we're doing it properly. Um, and, and to the animals, right? Because, at the end of the day, we want to be worthy of their lives, right? We want to make sure that the sacrifice that they're making is worthwhile for, for nature, whatever you may believe that to be. Um, but I do, I do think we all are part of the greater, you know, whether you want to call it the greater circle or the greater, you know, whatever it is that, that you believe. Um, I do believe we're part of a system that's bigger than us and we have a responsibility that's bigger than us. So we want to make sure that we're worthy of, the resource that we're taking up right in, in the larger scale. So um, again, I, I think all of that really went through my, my head in the, the minutes and hours after that hunt where it, it is, it's just a real experience in my opinion. It, it's it, very emotional. Um, but I think I grew from it. I think I'm a better person after doing it than I was before. I, I hope, I hope that I am. I believe that I am. I, I can, I can see that a hundred percent. Um, and it's interesting coming into it as an adult versus as a child where like, right. this is just something we've always done, which is the right. Way. And maybe there is, that's why there is some disconnect with it versus um, doing it as an adult. You kind of, I don't know, it's, it's, you, you can like, you were so used to doing it one way or not doing it at all. And then go start something new get into hunting like wow like you're kind of like in tune with your feelings a little bit and like i don't know it's just you'd be could be over overstimulating it, it is i i really i really think that it is and i i don't think it's a bad thing you know no. i think it's good to recognize what you're what you're doing and the the, the you know the repercussions of it right but mm-hmm. at the same time you know, if, I think if you grow up with it, it maybe just becomes part of your DNA, maybe even part of your family legacy, which is what I really hope to bring to my kids is, you know, we, we feed ourselves from the land, right? And we, we're part of the land, we're part of this system where, you know, and I'm certainly, it's not my parents' fault, right? It's just the way that they grew up too. But I grew up, you know, you get your meat from the supermarket and, you know, if you don't eat it all, it's okay because it came from the supermarket. And, and, and that's just kind of the mentality that, led to me being pretty unhealthy, having a bad relationship with food. And, and again, I'm not blaming society or anything else. It's just, you know, I think food becomes a a throwaway commodity for a lot of people. And it's unfortunate. 
Um, you know, hopefully my kids growing up with this lifestyle, see food differently, respect the animals a little bit more. And I, I'm, I'm not pointing the finger at anybody. I'm saying this was me, you know, 40 years of my life. This was me. Um, really, I, I hope that it changes their way of thinking. Whereas they're probably not going to have that big moment of this is amazing after 45 years, but maybe their, their whole perception of the food chain changes, you know? Sure. Um, man, uh, mo- moving on to, uh, to your garden. So what kind of like methods, practices, or techniques do you have? Like, do you do square foot gardening, um, like straw bale, raised bed, anything? So uh, sure. I, I did, some of the square foot gardening early on when I first kind of tried to be more productive, it was okay. I, I have found, um, and I know a lot of folks don't love it. I, I do a lot of container gardening. So, okay. and the reason is I, frankly, I, I rented when I was kind of starting up, I was renting and then we moved into a smaller yard, a house with a smaller yard. Now that we have a bigger yard, I've continued, but I'm, right now it's a combination between raised bed gardening and container gardening. That's, I don't see a problem with that. There's another guy uh, I talk to regularly. He's on the men's forum that uh, he's like, he's also in Florida. Right. He's like this, the soils here, like is so sandy. Like it is, I I can't, I I can't really grow much in the ground. Like I have to work really hard to make it usable. So he's like, I, I just either do raised beds or do like a bunch of mulch or I don't, I don't remember exactly what he said, but he's like, it's just too sandy. So there's a local farm out here and I've learned a lot from them. And I actually, when I started, I was buying, you know, it's a, you pick it kind of farm and they grew in containers and they kind of said it. It's the reason that they do so is, is because of the, the soil out here. And also the, the number of bugs, you know, the bugs are really difficult in Florida and in a lot of the Southeast. Um, so they do, you know, container gardening. And, uh, you know, I, as I said, like my tomatoes right now, we're out in raised beds. I have some squash out in some raised beds. Um, I'm growing some okra in raised beds and some other okra in the, in a container. So we'll see how, how that works. Um, you know, some the peppers are in containers for the most part, just because container, container gardening with peppers is pretty easy. So a lot of it, is just based upon what's going to work best. And, and really, you know, how do I maximize my yield while still trying to be as sustainable and thoughtful as possible? And, you know, we all make decisions, right? It's, you know, good, bad, and different about how we want to do things. You know, is a, a tomato grown in your backyard using conventional fertilizer better than an organic tomato shipped in from California? You know, I, I have a, a, an article on my blog about that. I don't, I don't know that there's a definitive answer. You know, I've kind of gone with the local tomatoes better, um, but that's just my mm-hmm. preference. You know, that that's that was the conclusion that I reached for myself and my family. Now, that may not be everybody's decision. That was just my decision um, because, you know, you go out and you meet. There's a social aspect, too, right, where you either do it yourself or you meet the farmer that grew it. So I thought that was great as opposed to someone saying it's organic because it passed, ran, you know, agreed upon measurables, you know, but you know, how do we know what those measurables are yet? I can talk to the farmer and he can say, well, I'm organic. I'm not organic because of X, Y, and Z, but I do do this. And I also feed it to my kids. Well, I feel pretty good about that. So, you know, that's a decision that I made. I'm not saying it's the right one or the wrong one. It's just, that's the one that I made. 
I mean, was that organic tomato from California also shipped organically? Like, what did they have to do to it, like, in order to get it from California to the grocery store? Does it stay organic? I don't know. Like, don't they wrap, like, strawberries in, like, nitrogen and stuff to get them to transport? And that's why, like, you see, like, the tops of them are still pretty white at the most grocery stores. You know what I'm talking about? Absolutely. Yep. And also, like, tomatoes are shipped in green and are there's a gas that they use, right? I can't, I can't remember the name of the gas right now. I've read about it, but they use a gas to ripen them as opposed to, you know, picking them when they're vine ripened. Right. So if you get a vine ripened conventional tomato from the local guy down the street, for me, it makes more sense. It doesn't mean it's going to make more sense for everybody. Some people may just like that organic label and that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. But, um, you know, our family just made the decision. We're going to, you know, kind of go a different route with it. And living in Florida, we're blessed. There's a lot of local farms. You can kind of grow tomatoes year round here. So, um, you know, we, we've done pretty well with that. And that's kind of the way we've, we've gone with it. We find we enjoy our food a lot more. That gas is ethylene. I, I heard it recently too. And I was like, what is that gas? I know what he's talking about. It's ethylene is the gas ethylene. that ripens tomatoes. And it, I mean, tomatoes produce ethylene naturally. So like, to ripen themselves but we're using it artificially to and who knows that is it is it an organic ethylene gas that they use to ripen those tomatoes i don't know you know i'm not sure and it's i'll tell you a funny story i i've been gardening for a while you know i did it just more of as a hobby not so much to you know to, as true food production right until recently but even when i was younger i, I grew you know a few tomatoes or whatever and um i grew cucumbers one time and I had, I did not realize that cucumbers, you know, again, I was in my twenties at the time, probably or maybe early thirties. I didn't realize that cucumbers didn't have a waxy coating when they grew, you know, that waxy coating you get at the store. I think so. I was like, yeah. Why? What's wrong with these cucumbers? They're not, you know, they're, they're bumpy and they don't have that, that coating on them. I thought there was something wrong with the cucumber, but it was actually just, you know, there was something wrong with the stuff I'd been buying my whole life. That is kind of funny. Uh, it, related, well, yeah, complete ignorance on my part, you know, related, uh, we, uh, when, when my son wants an apple, he'll ask. So like the little game we play is like peel it like a snake. And so I just take out the peeler and like, I I'm hand peeling the apple and sure. it's so gross when you can see like, like the wax kind of like start to separate from the actual peel of the apple. And you're like, Oh God, I eat this. Like yuck. Uh, it's true. Just eating wax all the time. <laughs> It's isn't it amazing? It, yeah. But we've just accepted it, right? That's we've kind of accepted that as this is normal. And, and again, an apple, right? That's that's not what we would consider to be a processed food. Yet, to me, that's processing. Mm-hmm. So absolutely. You know, another interesting thing living in Florida, and I never realized this: when you buy orange juice, a lot of times there's things in the orange juice because you know it sits in the container so long, it's been pasteurized, it doesn't taste so good. Um, there's things that, that can be put in the orange juice to make it taste better. But when you actually go here in Florida, there's some local from one that I go to local farms that squeeze their own juice there and you can buy it same day. And the first time that the juice, the juice here locally was $10 a gallon. And my first reaction was, I couldn't believe I was paying $10 a gallon. And after drinking the juice, I said, I don't know how I thought I was getting good orange juice for, you know, whatever I was paying before $4 a gallon. Right. Because it tastes like you're eating an orange where if you, if you're drinking, you know, pasteurized 
year old orange juice out of a, a container, even from concentrate, it's not, it doesn't taste like an orange. It tastes like or, what we think orange juice tastes like now. But yes. when you actually drink from this farm, when it's in season, you can only buy it when it's in season. And when you buy that, um, it, it's a different experience altogether. And, you know, I've been buying that for, you know, a few years now. And at this point, I, it's, I really choose not to drink orange juice from a, you know, from the store anymore because it's just not the same beverage. So I think we've just accepted things for so long or they become normal to us that we don't realize how bad they really are. And again, it's your example, you know, the waxy coating on an apple that no one thinks about. I mean, that is processing. Same with mm-hmm. the cucumber, um, you know, whatever it is, right. If, it, if it's packaged orange juice that, that has some sort of, we were talking about apples and orange juice, and I was going to ask you, when is orange juice, like, I guess, oranges in season in in Florida? Because if I ever make it down there, I mean, I'm, eventually I'm going to, but I'm sure. um, just curious about time of year when that is. Yeah, so th- they're a winter crop here. So usually, at least the, the place that I go to here locally in northern Florida, we're at it starts around Thanksgiving and it runs through probably the end of April, you know, give or take with, you know, as you know, there's season, there's a, you know, weather changes year to year, but for the most part, it's, it's usually, you know, you could call it late November through April, you'll be in pretty good shape. And there's, there's different varieties. I'm not, I'm certainly not an orange expert um, or citrus expert. I know that, you know, between the oranges and the tangerines, there's different seasons that kind of everything comes out, but, Usually you'll have some sort of citrus and some orange juice available to you locally from Thanksgiving through April. Nice. Yeah. One of the, about the uh, orange juice tasting funny also, I've heard, I don't, I don't know what kind of juices they use this for, or it could be any or all, that they, they will claim no sugar added. But what they do is that they take, um, they take the juice, like, let's say they squeeze the orange juice and they evaporate out all the water. So you right. just have all of like the natural fructose, like, uh, I guess glu- is it glucose? Isn't it like, that's the sugar. Um, uh, what is it? Is it fructose, right? Fructose out of the orange. Okay. It is. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Fruit. Like, so you just have like just a high amount of the natural sugars in the juice, but it's technically no sugar added. Right. Or right, they'll condense it, it down, or right, like just like making it out of concentrate, but they're they're not saying it's from concentrate. There, I read an article, and, and again, I don't have all the I didn't wasn't prepared with all those details, but I know that there's certain things that they can add. Whether it's if it's I don't know if it's an orange oil or a citrus oil, there's something that can be added without disclosure because it's technically mm. it's technically an orange, right? It's, it comes from an orange, but it's a concentrated flavor that you know because there's degradation of flavor as it ages and through the pasteurization process. So, um, you know, again, you're, you're not necessarily, you know, is it good or is it bad, right? We're not drinking what we think we drink. It may be completely harmless, but you know, we really don't know. It's certainly not the, I can tell you from experience, it's not, it doesn't taste the same, you know? Right. So there's, there's a difference in taste, whether there's a difference in, you know, nutrition. I'm not sure. I'm not, I'm, you know, I'm not at that level. Um, I'm just trying to, I'm trying to live a little more naturally. And by the way, that doesn't mean I'm perfect. You know, I, I'm certainly not a hundred percent against eating supermarket food. I have, you know, I, I'm 
I shop weekly. I still, I still go to the grocery store, but it, you know, anything that I can source locally, I kind of try to. Right. Right. I mean, it's, it'd be like a full-time job just to do it like all locally. And you know what you put, you put your time to where your priorities are and right. So you can't, you can't do it all. It's interesting. One of the big criticisms I've, I've heard, you know, just, I'm kind of new to social media. I just joined Twitter last year. Um, but one of the big kind of criticisms of folks who are trying to live a little more naturally and grow their own food and whether it's homesteading or just, you know, a sustainable living kind of thing. One of the great criticisms is, well, no one can grow everything and, and do it all yourself. And well, of course, I don't think anybody's trying to say I'm going to go completely, you know, there may be a few people, but for the most part, I think most folks are just trying to do it a little bit better. Right. So if right. it's 50%, if it's 60%, if it's 75% and you pick and choose the thing, or even if it's 25%, but it's the things that are really important to you, there's tremendous value in that. And there's also the value of whether it's um, teaching yourself or more importantly, teaching the future generations how to do it a little bit better. And then you can connect with your neighbors, right? That, I, I don't understand the criticism. That's because, the key. Right. You're trying to do it better. You're not trying to be perfect. We're just trying to do it a little bit better. There shouldn't be a criticism of that. Agreed. I think people just make up excuses to do that, like for them to do nothing. Like, True. True. Um, it's like, you know what? Uh, I, that seems like a lot of work. I don't, I don't think it's possible. And like write up their little article or their little tweet thread and uh, publish. And then that's like, they get a bunch of views that way for the people that both love that and hate that. So. It, and in a, in an understated way, it goes back to, you know, the whole, the, the man in the arena, right. Where people will criticize whether it's a great athlete or a great businessman and sort of business person and say, Hey, this person made this mistake because they're not the ones out there doing it, right? So it's it's hard to be perfect. It's easy to judge others. Well, I think people that are living more of a, a low-key kind of sustainable lifestyle, it's easy for someone in the outside to look at that and say, well, you don't do this right or you don't do that right. Well, you know, my take on it is, well, at least I'm trying to do something here. You know, whether it's right. a small flock of chickens getting to run around outside and eat bugs or mm -hmm. it's, you know, granted, I'm, I'm growing a tomato in a, in a container. Maybe that's not the, the ideal way to do it, right? But at least I'm trying to do something different than just eating a box of breakfast cereal every day. You know, at least we're trying right. to do something a little bit different. And maybe maybe it seems strange to people, but, it, you know, we're trying to walk that line. And it's not easy and it's not – there's probably not a roadmap. So I know for myself, like I, I try a lot of stuff, mess up, and then, all right, let's, let's try it a different way. Um, and that's a lot of the fun to that. For me, that's a lot of the fun with it. And I share it with my kids. I say, well, Dad messed that one up. Huh? Let's not do that again. And uh, there's nothing wrong with that. You know, I, I don't think that makes me a failure at that or, or anything else. I think that's part of the, the process. But I do want to hear about your failures. What have you tried that didn't work well? Oh, gosh. Um, well, uh, you know, I'll share with you. Uh, I try I try to run a marathon. You know, I, I ran I've run now five. I've completed five marathons. Um, I tried a couple in my early 30s when, you know, I was kind of halfway into fitness and halfway not. And I, you know, my first one, I pulled a hamstring. The second one, I just wasn't ready. You know, and I just knew halfway through, I'm not going to make it. So I had to stop. And 
I took several years off and, and let my fitness slip again because I looked at it as a failure and I really beat myself up over it. You know, I was embarrassed, yeah. and, you know, it, you know, I had to take the bus back. I felt really bad about that. And, you know, my, my ego was bruised. So I took years off and I gained weight and, um, you know, I tried again and, and I ran a half marathon at, at 39. Uh, excuse me. Was I, uh, no, I was 40. I, I apologize. I was 40 when I, when I ran my first, uh, half and then I was 41 when I ran my, my first full, um, so that was a failure, right? You try, you try a fitness goal or you try a, you know, to do something and, and you fail at it. Um, one thing that I failed at this year, I, I tried to grow some squash. I was trying different varieties of squash and utter failure. I mean, just, I, I had one small butternut squash out of like eight plants. It was terrible. Um, and you know, my kids helped me grow them. Right. So I had to explain to the kids that I, I did something wrong. I, I don't, you know, maybe it got too hot, too fast or too many bugs just didn't work out. Yeah, that could be. There was, um, I can't remember who I was talking to within the last couple of weeks, another interviewer, another interviewee. And they're like, I've got this one problem with one of my plants and I cannot figure it out. Like, right. uh, it's just something I've never experienced before. I just, just completely blown away. Like no idea. Can't figure it out. But so with the, with the squash, with the squash, it was, um, plants look great, had a bunch of male flowers, could not get a female flower, just hmm. couldn't buy it. Couldn't not one looked out every day. I was going to hand pollinate, couldn't find one female flower. And, you know, the kids helped me plant them and kind of had to explain to them, Hey, it doesn't look like this is going to work out so well. But what we, we celebrated that one butternut squash. It was a tiny butternut squash and we celebrated it because it was, you know, it was the only one, but. Um, right. you know, I, but I think it's good for the kids. I think it's good for the kids to see that too, because Absolutely. when they fail at something, right. Or I shouldn't say even fail it when, 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 well, no, it is a fail. You know, sometimes you fail. It's okay to say you fail. So, you know, and there's setbacks and things, you know, you can move on from them. So I think, you know, I, I certainly don't hide from those things and I don't shield the kids from those things these things happen. And, uh, you know, it's part of the deal, you know, what has been the biggest challenge in homesteading? So, you know, I think for me, it's just been the time. There's a lot of, you know, because of the, you know, I'm a dad, uh, you know, you got the, the, the full-time job, you've got other home responsibilities. It, it's the time requirements can be challenging. That's one. And the second thing is people don't always understand what you're doing. You know, people find it strange. I, I grew up in a kind of a suburban setting. Most of my friends and family live in a suburban setting. When I told them I was getting chickens, the question was, you know, the question was why. And then the response was laughter. You know, what are you doing? Why would you? It's, it's a lot of work. Just go buy your eggs at the store. Um, and then, you know, there's the issue of, you know, if I want to go away for a weekend, how do we how do we manage that? Because we don't know a lot of people that are going to come over and watch our chickens for us, you know. Right. So, you know, and again, it's probably something that struck a lot of folks who have tried to make this transition as I have from, you know, kind of corporate suburban family to rural still corporate family is you know how do you manage the time how do you still have kids activities um you know what happens when you work late and you have to lock the chickens up you know how do you how do you manage that you know you have to someone has to get home someone has to manage it or do you leave them out a little bit later so you know that's been one has been just been the time and and also just the response from others, everybody, you know, cause there's a lot of pressure to not do it. Right. Like, why are you doing this? 
when things things don't work out, like, yeah, that's a lot of work. Why would you bother? So you have to be a little bit resilient and, and, and very flexible. And, and you, again, you have to accept failure because you're going to mess a lot of things up and people are going to laugh and say, I told you it wasn't going to work out. And you have to say, well, it's going to work out. It's just going to take me a couple tries, you know? So right. it, it bruises the ego, but at the same time, you have to understand what the mission is. And again, you know, I hate to always say what goes back to the kids, but it really does. That is the most important thing for me is, you know, every mistake I make is something that my kids can learn from. And that that's where I'm going with this is, you know, I would rather have the slip ups now and be a little bit embarrassed and admit, hey, I don't know how to hunt at 40 years old, than have to have my kids do that. Right. You know, or I, you know, I have to teach myself to garden again at in my 30s or 40s. Um so that hopefully the next generation is a little further along when, when they get there. Right. So, um, that, those are the challenges though. I, I guess that, that was a long winded answer. I apologize for that, but I think Not at all. the, you know, the challenges are one, you know, growing up and being part of a, a community of mostly folks who live in the suburbs, it, you're looked at a little bit funny. And then the other thing is that the, the time responsibilities, because your life has been built around kind of a corporate nine to five deal. That, that is the challenge for, I mean, I, I've gotten a lot of different answers to that question, but time does come up often. Right. Uh, time and time again, if you will. Um, it kind of ties into, you. Uh, jump, jumping around to the questions here. You talked about self-reliant. What, like, what does self-sufficiency mean to you? Like define it and what does it mean to you? Sure. So, and again, I think I alluded to this a little bit earlier where folks will say, why are you trying to be self-sufficient when you can never be 100%? And I agree 100% that I'll never be completely self-sufficient, right? You're always going to rely on your community. You're going to rely on, on some level, we're always going to rely on larger systems. It's just part of the way our culture is created, you know, with that said, for me, self-sufficiency is really being able to stand on your own two feet with your family, reaching out to the folks that you want to reach out to, you know, to, to, to create some sort of community and build those relationships on a small scale. So I think the problem that we've entered into in society is we've not determined those relationships. So the food that we're buying is not the food that we really want to buy. It's the food that's available to us. Right. As opposed to if we go to the local farmer's market, we're being very intentional with what we're buying. Hey, for the reasons, you know, maybe it's they're healthier, they taste better. Maybe it's that the animals, you can see the animals, they obviously are treated very well, right? So you're very intentional with what you're trying to do as opposed to the current system where, you know, you go to your local giant supermarket and you just buy whatever is BOGO today. Um, that's not living intentionally, in my opinion. So self-sufficient, self-sufficiency really comes down to living intentionally um, and making the decisions as to, okay, I'm going to rely on, quote unquote, the system for this, but I'm really going to take control of this aspect of my life. And I, I think that's part of it, because as I alluded to, I, I never expected to go into this and say, you know, I'm going to live off the grid because honestly, I like my air conditioning too much, you know, and I like having a freezer because I went hunting. I had a lot of meat and I could put it in a freezer and save it for a long period of time. So right. that is, you know, that's beneficial, but the, you know, is that, is this freezer sustainable? Probably not, you know? Um, 
but I do think that self-sufficiency and, and just being a little more intentional in life is, you know, those two are really interconnected. How is it that you stay healthy? Anything other than physical health? Yeah. Well, as I, as I said, you know, certainly, um, you know, I, I'm, I'm not going to position myself as a weekly churchgoer. I'm not, uh, but certainly grounded in, in, in the Christian faith is, is important to me. Uh, something we share with the kids, uh, and the family. Um, we connect, you know, the family connects through nature. You know, a lot of our faith comes with nature. We see a lot of you know, we see God in nature, right? Just in our daily lives. So it's something we talk about. It's something we believe in. So I think that's, you know, that would probably fall under spiritual health. Um, from a mental health standpoint, I think going to the beach brings a lot of mental health for me. It's something that I look forward to every week. Um, and again, that a lot of that's reconnecting with nature. It connects you to spirituality. Um, you know, I go on a mo- morning jog. Most mornings I'm out jogging. I do three miles a day. Um, that for me, that's, you know, certainly physically it's healthy mentally it clears a lot of stress again you have a nine to five you have a family you're trying to do stuff around the house you need, you need some sort of break um and, and also you know i try to run in a spot that in my path generally brings me through a lot of uh, i see a lot of wildlife i see some nature so you know th- there's that sense too right where you're, you're kind of at peace while you're on your jog so uh, i think that keeps me healthy i think being out in the outdoors whether it's fishing and gardening and things along those lines you know one Gardening and, and carrying food and water out to an animal is really underrated as a form of exercise. You know, if you're carrying five gallon buckets of water around, they're heavy. And um, on days when my wife helps me out or the kids will try to help me carry stuff, they say, that's a lot of work. And I laugh and I say, yeah, you know, I do it every morning. So um, certainly I think that brings a lot of mental health benefits and also physical benefits to you if you're doing yeah. a lot of outdoors activity. Going, going back to your, uh, change in diet sure. about, uh, like physical health and stuff. How long did it take you to lose that 80 pounds? So it's as of right now, it's on, it's, it's a little bit over 80 at this point And it's, uh, it's been ongoing. I mean, I started out, you know, I'm five foot eight when I was 39, I weighed about 240. So I'm down now, you know, I'm, I'm down 80 plus at this point. And it, it's taken, you know, it, I lost, uh, you know, I'm, I'm lower now than I was in say January, you know, so it's ongoing nice. and it, it was, yeah. So it's pretty, and I don't know what the final weight ends up being, you know, it, it may be where I'm at now. I, I would like to get stronger, you know, so there, there's a chance that I just sure. kind of plateau off and try to get leaner and stronger, but, um, it, you know, it's been an ongoing process and, and it hasn't been linear. You know, the first couple of, even though I live in Florida, the first couple of winters between the holidays and just shorter days you know, I've gained 10 or 20 pounds back in the wintertime and then have to lose it in the spring. So, right. um, yeah. And when you get off your routine, you know, anyone who's tried to stay fit knows once you get off your routine, it's easy to slip into a two or three month downturn. So, um, yeah, I mean, you know, just to answer the question directly, it did, you know, it's been what six years, you know, to lose that amount of weight, but it's not been linear. You know, I think the first year I lost, let's say the first year I lost like 30 pounds and I gained 15 or 20 back. And then the second year it was another 30 pounds and 20 back. So it's been, it's been up and down, but the last couple of years I've been able to maintain, you know, you know, five, 10 pound weight gain during the winter. And then I lose it back in the spring. So that's been kind of the the plan. It's interesting that you say that you don't know what the final weight will be. 
uh, because I have heard similar things from a, um, I don't know if you know who Dr. Ken Berry is. He is a, uh, he, he promotes the keto diet quite heavily, but he sure. doesn't call it like keto diet. It's just like, just the, he calls it the proper human diet. Right. Like, um, like this is just what our ancestors ate. And if you stick to this strictly, uh, whatever like weight is healthy for your body, that's the weight that, um, you will get to with this, I guess, diet, which is more sure. like proper nutrition, essentially for like, for like his arguments. He's like, you know, if, if you, if you have a weight in mind, uh, that's fine, I guess, but don't, don't kill yourself to get there. Like if, if by going on keto, you get like, you know, what are the, what are they, what, what do you, what do you call that in math? Like the asymptote or whatever, where like, you know, it goes way down and then it never hits right. zero. Like it, right. it's just like, yeah. Um, so, it's, you know, it's I think one, one issue for me was, you know, and I would imagine most people who've lost, you know, a large number of pounds, right. Would say this and, and someone who, who's dealt with obesity, you know, I, I was obese, you know, and I, I was suffering health issues and, Anyone, I think most people who've dealt with that will tell you that when you you start to get into a mindset where you just live at this, you, you live looking at a scale. You know, I lost two pounds this week. I had a good week. Well, you know, you reach a certain point and you say to yourself, well, okay, I can get lighter, but if I'm not getting stronger, does that matter? Or am I as fit as I used to be? You know, so, you know, one of the things that running marathons did was, well, if I lose weight, then it plateaus, but I improve my running time maybe I'm improving my fitness level. Right. Um, I'm never going to be the guy that wants the six pack. That's not, you know, the aesthetics aren't super important to me. It's about being healthy. Um, so, you know, you get to this point where, okay, do I want to lose five more pounds? Do I want to do more pushups? Right. Or do I want to increase my speed, build my leg strength and my core strength up? Um, and and I'm, I'm happy to say that's the point that I'm at now is I'm looking at other health markers as a poor fitness markers, as opposed to just, Hey, I need to lose 10 more pounds. Cause I'm at a weight now where, you know, I think if, if I were to just stay at this weight, I would be okay. You know? Sure. Um, but if I were to lose five or 10 more pounds, maybe that, maybe that's okay. You know, that, that maybe, but it's probably not necessary. So, and the other side of it is I think one of the dangers of setting a, a weight loss goal is what do you do after you get there? And that's something I've run into before, right? I hit the goal and then six months later, I was 30 pounds up. Because I hit the right. goal and then I started eating the way I used to eat. So, um, again, you know, I, the doctor that you referenced, the, the person that I had started following, and obviously I changed it as I went along to, to kind of fit my needs. But, you know, mm-hmm. the, the idea of, you know, the kind of that primal blueprint being that you are going to follow the human diet and it's going to be a lifestyle. And it, you've got to pick something that you can do for your whole life because, you know, right. at the end of the day, you're not going to hit a target and then just go back to the way you were and be okay, you know. Yeah, sometimes you'll go too far back like you'll have more work at the other like because you 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 reverted back and then some right um well yeah i mean you don't want to go back and do all that work and then go back and you know gain 30 more pounds you know right and you you bring up an interesting point about like you know don't need a six pack not sure if this is the weight i want to be at like there's or the time in a marathon that I'm happy with. Like there's all these different metrics. 
you can be satisfied or not with uh, with your progress. Right. So for me, it was I set, you know, when when I the first year it was just I need to lose weight because I uh, I had some health issues. So and nothing major. It was just you know weight related, and you know it was just kind of trying to lose a few pounds. And then I realized I needed to set a short term kind of medium range and then like a long-term goal. Right. So we started off a friend of mine ran a half marathon. Uh, we ran a half marathon together, you know, about a year, a year after we started. Right. And then, you know, kind of medium range goal was to run a marathon the following year. And then, you know, I, I set some weight goals for, you know, I want to be here in a couple of years. So, um, I think that's important, right. Where you set goals, that aren't even necessarily weight loss goals all the time, right? So if you're talking about running a half marathon, you're probably going to naturally lose weight just because you're trying to get to that number, you know, to the to the to the marathon number, the half marathon number. And then if you're saying, well, I want to run it at this pace, the training and the diet that you use to get to that pace is going to help you lose weight. So I, I think having those those targets will help you along the way. Right. Um so wrapping up here, what would you tell people that want to get started homesteading, fishing, hunting, anything like that? Sure. Uh, you know, the first thing that I would say is, you know, start small. You know, don't don't jump into, you know, if you're going to start a garden, you know, if you're going to start gardening, let's say planting a vegetable garden, it does. You don't have to plant every vegetable that you think you're going to eat, and even on the website, you know, in the blog, I, I talk about you know, you can start off just start just growing an herb garden, right? Just some basil, cilantro, something like that. Um, parsley, you, you could grow an herb garden and really improve your cooking skills. Um, you know, if you're fishing, you don't have to go out and try to catch, you know, the biggest fish, or you don't even have to do it on your own. You can go out and there's no shame in going out and, and hiring a guide for a day. You right. know, I've done guided fishing trips. They're great. Um, you know, I go on these guided hog hunting tours i'm not you know i watch hunting shows i'm not an expert hunter um i'm not one of these guys on tv you know to think you know to think so would be laughable there's no shame in asking for help and finding a guide even if you're you know even if you're older and it was intimidating as a you know middle-aged guy to go out and admit to a guide hey you know i've taken the safety course i've passed but you know, I need help. You know, I, I have questions and, and luckily I, I was set up with a guide who was great and patient and, and, and answered my questions and helped me. Um, there's no shame in saying, I don't know how to do something. And when you say that and you're honest with your level of expertise, if it's not there, usually you'll find more than, more than enough people who are willing to help you, you know? Absolutely. And it goes back also to the thing you said about um, the hardest thing is time. Sometimes, right. like sometimes right. you just, don't have time. There's a guy that I follow, like he's been fishing forever. Um, probably same as you. And, you know, like he did gr- spend some time growing up in Florida and he goes like on vacation in Florida and, and even like in Texas where he lives, he will still hire a guy because when he goes out, he doesn't want to have like, be, he's, he has limited time. Like right. he just wants to go out, catch fish or not and go home. Like I, I, he can't just be there and like dick around to hope it works out. He goes, I'm going to, I'll pay the money to hopefully be successful. 
Well, I mean, that's there's nothing wrong with that. No, you know, especially if you're going to a spot that you've never been before or, you know, you're taking the kids, right? So, you know, if you're going to take the kids out fishing, you better be catching stuff pretty quick because they're not going to sit around for four hours hoping to catch that one fish, right? Right. So that's where a guide comes in. You know, and if it is slow, the guide can take you around and, you know, you know, here in Florida, go look at some alligators or something, you know, and that'll keep the kids interested for a little while, you know? Right. So what you don't want to do is take them out and have a miserable time not catching anything. It's hot. And then they never want to go again and you ruin it. You know, that that's what you don't want to do. So yeah, definitely for someone who's starting out, especially if you're starting with kids, definitely, you know, work with a guide, work with a professional who can, who can get you there. And if you're starting out with gardening, um, go talk to your local, you know, garden shop or, or local farm and, and ask for advice. And, you know, especially like if you go to a local nursery, a lot of times they'll spend a lot of time with you while you're buying stuff. Cause they're hopefully going to get a lifetime customer. Right. Yeah, that's the plan, right? That's the plan. Talking about your your accounts and stuff. Uh, so you're you've got advancedprimitive.net and yes. you're on on Twitter, uh, advanced primitive. What is advanced primitive? So how'd you come up with that? As far as you know, it's interesting, and I one of the conversations I had with with folks as I was starting, and people were asking kind of what it was going to be about it. I said. I hope it turns into something that I don't expect. You know, I kind of had an idea, but I really wanted it to turn into something that would be a complete surprise. So it kind of started off with, you know, we live in this modern world and we're super detached from our heritage, right? Our birthright as humans. Mm -hmm. So how do we reconnect the dots while still taking advantage of, you know, the the modern conveniences, right? I, I say it all the time. I like my air conditioning. So um, my freezer makes it really easy to store food from a safety perspective. If my kids get sick, I, I do want to take them to the doctors, you know? So how do we connect the dots between what we really should be and what we could be and still take advantage of the, of these modern privileges that we have? So that right. was the premise. And I, I purposely tried not to narrow it down too much. So I guess that's the goal, right? It's a self-improvement idea really reconnecting with nature, reconnecting with really our heritage and our birthright of who are we as as humans? Because that was, that's really who I, I, when I, you know, when I decided I was going to start this back when I was 39 and, and and wanted to get healthy again, I really had to, to, to kind of peel the onion back, right. And say, who is it that I want to be? Because, you know, I I was a guy who, yeah, I had a, you know, I had a good job. Uh, I had a family, I had a house, you know, everything seemed to be going pretty well yet. You know, there were reasons I wasn't eating right. There were reasons I wasn't taking care of myself. So how do you justify or or align who you want to be with who you are, who you have to be to take care of your family? And really, and going through that exercise and trying to live, and I've used the word intentionally, you know, trying to live intentionally, right? I had to go back and say, well, who do I want to be? How do I want to live? And the reality was, you know, I I wanted to reconnect with nature and, and, and get back to those things. Um. So that's kind of where advanced primitive is. I know that's not a direct answer, but I, I don't know that I want it to necessarily be, you know, as buttoned up as, as, as it could be. You know, I, I kind of like the sure. idea that it's a little bit open-ended. I like that. Yeah. It could take you anywhere. And that's the yeah. surprise. So the goal is, you know, I guess eventually, you know, if you go to the website, I, I wrote a book, it's on Amazon, the advanced uh, primitive guide to sustainable um, food production. It's, 
you know, it, it really hasn't sold very many copies. I haven't really put a lot of marketing behind it. It was more a lot in a lot of ways. I wrote it for me, you know, sure. so and, and really everything came out of the blog. So anybody that's reading my blog posts have the book um, and you'll see it, it's pretty varied, right? It's kind of like a lot of just reconnecting with nature, producing your own food. Yeah. But, and also being healthy, but not in the, the traditional, you know, I go to the gym and I lift a lot of weights and I'm muscular health wise. It's more, how do we age gracefully? How do we get a little bit older without having to go on, you know, all not to say that it's bad to be on medicine, but you know, how do we, how do we live where kind of we're in control of our own health, right? And if there are medications, how do we make that work within our lifestyle, right? So, um, you know, one thing I take pride in is, is my health is well managed through, you know, diet and exercise. Now, if I needed medication, would I take it? Yeah, of course. Um, but I think there's something to be said for, you know, realizing that I had a weight issue and losing the weight as opposed to relying on external means to get there, you know? So, and again, that it doesn't, that's not going to work for everyone, but that was my philosophy. And, you know, I think from the advanced primitive point of view, right, that would be the philosophy of, okay, there's, there's medical interventions. I saw a doctor, they said, your choice is medication or you've got to lose weight. I yeah. chose to lose the weight right now. If they said you have to go on medication and lose weight, I would have done it because, you know, I like living. Right. So, um, and I have a responsibility to my kids to do that. So I, I'm not anti-medicine. I don't want it to come across sure. that way, but I do think Same. in our society today, I, sometimes I think we don't look at, there may be a natural way to do this. Right. And I think that's dangerous because when we become too reliant upon external assistance, we lose track of the fact that we have a lot of self-control. We have, we have the ability to really steer our own ship, right? So I think that can be a dangerous mindset. And it's something that I see pushed a lot, and it's unfortunate. I, I do like your blog posts. They're actually pretty short and sweet. Uh, they're really not that long. They're, they're just super easy to digest. And honestly, you could copy and paste, uh, what you've blogged about already. And like turned it into like a Twitter thread. Like that would be, uh, just to get to kind of boost, boost the book a little bit. If that was something you'd be interested in. Yeah, and, no, uh, I appreciate that. That's, that's really good advice. Actually. I appreciate that. Yeah. I mean, you already read it, the, the content's there. So, right. Right. Um, but sometimes social media people are like, I don't, I don't care. <laughs> I, I'm not putting any more effort into this. Uh, this is just like a thing. This is a it's been a learning experience, honestly, sure. you know, I'm not a social media, you know, media. I'm not a big social media person, you know, you know, I, I'm terrible at writing, you know, on Twitter for me, it's been more about engaging other people who share my interests, you know, yourself included. Um, there's a lot of great folks. Uh, I know you and I both follow that you know, are always there. If you have a question, they always answer or give you some oh, positive yeah. feedback. It's great. You know, um, you know, I, I don't know that I have a great interest in having, you know, 80,000 followers. It's probably not the target for myself. Right. And I, I don't know that I, you know, I don't know that the, the content that I'm producing would, would create that kind of interest, you know? Um, you know, as, as far as you kind of asked where I was, what it was all about or what the future was, you know, I, I would love to at some point, you know, write, you know, if I'm at, you know, write for a magazine or, or do some freelance writing, something along those lines. Um, but really it's more, you know, hopefully some people connect with what I'm writing and kind of see, see value in it. You know, maybe you could go fishing two days a week. It'd be great. If I could go fishing two days a week, that'd be a win at the end of the day. There you go. Well, Al, uh, I really appreciate you being here. Uh, appreciate your time and, uh, 
looking forward to talking more in the future. Absolutely. Thanks so much for having me on. I appreciate it. Yes. Thank you. Okay. Thanks. Bye. A lot of great insight from Al. Check out his website, advancedprimitive.net. Thanks for watching, everyone. Leave a comment, like, subscribe. Most importantly, share this video. You can listen to uh, the podcast on Fountain.fm podcast player. You'll love it. If you don't, you can send me all your Satoshis you earn just by listening to your favorite podcasts and supporting those podcasters. Check out our website, farmhoplife.com. You can sign up for our email list or Telegram channel there to be notified when new videos, interviews, and podcasts are available. We're on YouTube, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, MeWe, and Float. You can email me anytime, matt at farmhoplife.com. Uh, you can check out our 20 by 23 project where we're going to help out 20 homesteads in the year 2023. I'm always looking for new people to interview. If you want to come on to talk about homesteading, farming, food security, homeschooling, regenerative agriculture, alternative building methods, or anything else, just fill out the form. Go to formhoplife.com slash guest. Go feed yourself. Inside of the city, the people are crazy. Out of their minds, they ain't got a clue. We gone away, headed west for Montana. Left family and friends, all I got now is you. We both got new jobs, a host and a homestead, thinking this was the life. All that there'd be After our firstborn You had to stay home That's when the work Got in the way for me Well I started Farm Hop Life Look come to your farm To help and to wander Me and the family A truck and an RV Send us a message and there.